no, uh, no matter what your political stripe, race or religion, looking back at the past 36 hours in the Middle East, I, I know I speak for everyone who lives in America when I say worst Simchas Torah ever. Even the Pope said today, worst Simchas Torah ever. I don't know what the answer is. I just wish that there's some kind of peace that can be forged. I think maybe Joe Biden has to step up uh, like he didn't do in Ukraine and force people to the negotiating table. It's horrible. The news is just absolutely horrible. But more killing, no matter how vile it has been, more killing will only breed more killing. That I know. Monday was Columbus Day, or Indigenous Peoples Day. I uh, prefer to celebrate Indigenous People Day here in America. And much like in Israel, here in America, we have a problem with our Indigenous people and the way we treat them. The difference between America and Israel is that here in America, we sorted out who the indigenous people are. Israel and the Palestinians just can't decide who is there first. So this is very sad. I'm Jewish. I went to Hebrew school until I was 18. So obviously, my version of events and history will stack up accordingly. I am devastated by what is going on. I just know that more war, more violence, more revenge only breeds more war, more violence and revenge. Eventually, you're going to negotiate. So why not start now? I worry that Israel right now has a leader who is impulsive and prone to the same instincts as George W. Bush was after 9-11. My advice to Israel is don't make the same mistake America made after 9-11. That's my advice. Violence is not the answer. Obviously, Israel has a right to defend itself. That goes without saying. There are smarter ways, perhaps, to defend yourself. Lord knows we could have used them right after 9-11. Look at what we did after 9-11. A lot of tough talk. And only one person, Barbara Lee, congresswoman from Oakland, saw through it all and voted against the war authorization. Don't make the same mistake we made after 9-11. It feels good in the moment, but it's brutal. So I am not glued to the television right now. I'm reading nonstop about what is happening. It's more efficient for me. And the visuals are just too much, and they make me sad, and they make me angry. White House spokesman John Kirby, Admiral John Kirby, 
formerly a spokesperson for the Pentagon, broke down in tears while talking to D Jake Tapper on CNN. Anderson Cooper struggled to keep it together on Monday while playing a clip of an Israeli woman whose cousins, including a three-year-old and a brand new baby, have all been taken hostage by Hamas. Fox News foreign correspondent Trey Yinkst broke down as he described Israeli parents surrendering their DNA to identify the remains of a child. The reaction in the media here in the United States is starting to look and feel a lot like 9-11, when people who are supposed to report the story become the story. I remember CBS anchor Dan Rather, who I think is one of the greatest reporters ever. But I remember him appearing on David Letterman's late night program in the immediate aftermath of 9-11. And he had kept it together covering the attacks, but broke down in front of David Letterman and had to be comforted on air. Rather than, uh, rather than keeping his guard up, he said on national television that he's an American and moving forward, I take my marching orders from President George W. Bush. Wrong thing to say. Wrong thing to say. Saturday's surprise attack looked and felt a lot like 9-11 because it wasn't supposed to happen. It was a massive, catastrophic intelligence failure. How could the prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, how could he not have seen this coming? When and if the dust ever settles, there will be a political reckoning for him, much the same way there was a political reckoning for Golda Meir, who paid a price, a political price, for not being prepared for the Yom Kippur War, which is exactly 50 years ago this week. And there was a political price for Ehud Olmert, a steep political price, including an unrelated prison sentence for mismanaging the war against Lebanon in 2006. There's a myth about Israel that it's an impenetrable nation. Nothing could be further from the truth. It has been surrounded by enemies since its inception. It has enemies within its own borders, and it is constantly being attacked. But the world narrative is that Israel is the most powerful country on the planet. It's uh, a very vulnerable nation, and Israel is a very vulnerable people, which is why it behooves them to negotiate. With the tough-talking, ultra-conservative hawk, Benjamin Netanyahu, Israeli voters in the past couple of years seem to have made a deal, a deal with him and themselves. They would keep Benjamin Netanyahu as their prime minister, indulge his obvious thirst for power and revenge. There's a corruption trial and a very unpopular attack that he's waging against his country's judicial branch. The, the, the deal the Israelis seem to have made is they will take Netanyahu with all that baggage because Netanyahu offers them security up until this weekend. For a while, Netanyahu had succeeded in convincing enough Israeli voters and 
a lot of the neoliberal West that the Palestinian issue was under control. While life got progressively worse in Gaza, which is an open-air prison with 50% unemployment, where running water is a luxury, where occasionally Israel would open up the gates and permit 30,000 of them to come into the country for work, uh, it got worse and worse in Gaza. It was a human rights catastrophe. In the West Bank, conditions for the Palestinians uh, deteriorated as Netanyahu's government, feeling empowered, expanded settlements in direct violation of international and my mother's law. That was uh, too much for my mother to handle uh, the settlements. And America does not approve of the settlements in the West Bank. Jewish settlers in the West Bank, the West Bank is where if you're going to have a two-state solution, there can be no settlements in the West Bank. But Jewish settlers in the West Bank this year began attacking Palestinians as it became clear that a growing segment inside Netanyahu's coalition, they viewed Palestinians in the West Bank as the interlopers, not the settlers. And many on the far, far right of the Netanyahu coalition pretty much said it was time for the Palestinians to leave the West Bank, not the Jewish settlers. Most American Jews felt this was unsustainable. And fewer than half Israelis felt it was unsustainable. But up until this weekend, there was no denying that Israel, for the first time in its history, seemed to be secure. The threat from terrorists seemed negligible, with an occasional knifing or rocket fired from Gaza. Things were settling down, and it pains me to admit that partially it's because of Jared Kushner's Abraham Accords. Uh, it began to look as though Israel was going to make some sort of deal with Saudi Arabia, where there'd be peace between Saudi Arabia and Israel, and Jared Kushner would get $2 billion. I think that's how it worked. Not quite sure. There was a, a link opening up between Saudi Arabia and Israel. Because of its connection to the Sunni branch of Islam, Saudi Arabia found with Israel a common enemy in the Shia-dominated Iran. Up until this past weekend, it looked as though Israel was getting most of the regional powers in the Middle East to abandon their concern for Palestinians in exchange for military and economic alliances. And Israel looked stable. But this was not to be. Problems don't go away just because you ignore them. And much like the French learned with their Maginot line, Israel's Iron Dome couldn't protect its geography from Hamas warriors who tunneled underneath the fence or flew over it on motorized paragliders. Despite billions spent developing a missile defense, a missile defense system called Iron Dome, 
with the help of America's Raytheon, the Iron Dome couldn't deal with the sheer volume of Palestinian-launched rockets over the weekend. And it speaks truth to the lie that anti-ballistic missiles will ever keep us safe. By Monday, some of us, some of us, were reminded that there is no replacement for diplomacy, as bad as the stories are coming out of Israel this morning. There is still no replacement for diplomacy. Uh, instead, uh, what we're hearing now, just like immediately after 9-11, are full-throated declarations that Israel has a right to defend itself. Well, of, co of course it does. Of course it does. But there's no greater defense than diplomacy. But we're hearing a lot of anger and thunder, especially from the leaders in Israel who failed uh, to perform their one duty, and that is keep your country safe. It's just like 9-11. 9-11 uh, was a massive failure on the part of George W. Bush, who ignored repeated intelligence warnings that al-Qaeda was planning to fly hijacked airplanes into the World Trade Center. Benjamin Netanyahu, also guilty of a massive intelligence failure. This is malfeasance. He uh, now seems to be diverting attention away from his own incompetence by declaring war on Hamas. Now, maybe he should, maybe he should, but I would expect him to declare war on Hamas because he screwed up big time. So he's not about to put his tail between his legs and do the right thing, and that is sit down and negotiate with the Palestinians. Instead, he declared citizens of Israel, we are at war. Not an operation, not a round of fighting, at war. This morning, Hamas initiated a murderous surprise attack against the state of Israel and its citizens. The Israeli cabinet uh, immediately declared war against Hamas. Uh, sounds a lot like George W. Bush, who, you know, promising people are going to suffer at our hands like they've never suffered before. While 300,000 reservists reported to duty, it became increasingly apparent on Monday that it was just a matter of time before a dreaded door-to-door -door operation would take place inside Gaza, fighting door-to-door -door as Israeli tanks rolled back in after they left in 2005. It would all be in the hope of taking out the Hamas leadership and conceding to the Israelis that wars cannot be won from the air. No matter how many bombs you drop or how many missiles your much vaunted Iron Dome knocks out of the sky, wars are not won from the air. 
the Biden administration has not been Benjamin Netanyahu's biggest champion. The prime minister has yet to receive an invitation to visit the White House. And Biden, like Obama, has made it abundantly clear that he doesn't approve of the Netanyahu government expanding settlements in the West Bank. And by so doing, by expanding those settlements, they are making a two-state solution impossible. Joe Biden, after the attack, said that he spoke to Benjamin Netanyahu, quote, I made it clear to Prime Minister Netanyahu that we stand ready to offer all appropriate means of support to the government and people of Israel. Israel has a right to defend itself and its people, full stop. Let me say this as clearly as I can. This is not a moment for any party hostile to Israel to exploit these attacks to seek advantage. The world is watching. And I'm old enough to remember when U.S. presidents called for restraint, when they immediately flew somebody in and tried to jumpstart negotiations. Don't mean to be cynical here. I don't know enough about anything, but... Your first instinct should be peace, to calm things down, not get more weapons. Obviously, we can get more weapons into the hands of Israel. But the real weapon is diplomacy now, not revenge, because eventually you're going to have to talk. So why not now? Why not now? Netanyahu told President Biden in his conversation that there is no negotiating with Hamas. Probably not the best thing to say, considering that besides 11 Americans getting killed in the attacks, several other Americans, American citizens, have been taken hostage And there are also Palestinian Americans who are trapped in Gaza right now, complaining that America has all but abandoned them. Israel will negotiate with Hamas. They will, because to get hostages released, you negotiate. Netanyahu, despite insisting he doesn't negotiate, does negotiate with Hamas. In the past, he's agreed to release more than a 1,000 prisoners in exchange for one soldier and the bodies of several others. Hamas said that there will be no talk of releasing hostages. Uh, They may be holding as many as 100 until Israel agrees to call off its missile strikes. Hamas says no talk of negotiation until the missiles stop. Over the weekend, Israel showed how interested it was in talking when it destroyed Gaza's Ahmed Yassin Mosque. So far, Gaza's death toll stands at nearly 700 dead. By the time you hear this, I know it will be more, and close to 4,000 injured. 
Leaders of Hamas said four Israeli hostages were killed on Monday by Israeli rocket attacks. Hamas warned that if the missile attacks continued, they would start executing more of the hostages on live television. Apparently, that has started. So far, diplomacy doesn't seem to be on the agenda, despite Hamas holding at least 100 Israeli hostages. Netanyahu declared on Monday that Gaza and its 2.3 million inhabitants are now under siege. Israel controls nearly all the electricity that flows into Gaza, and Netanyahu on Sunday cut it off. There is now a blockade of food, water, and oil in effect. Antonio Guterres, Secretary General of the United Nations, called Palestinian grievances legitimate, but said they do not justify the attacks on Israel. So far, 900 Israelis are reported dead, with 2,315 Israelis injured, 360 in critical condition. Israeli Rescue Service officials say they retrieved about 260 bodies from a music festival that was attacked by Hamas. There are reports that many of the victims were raped. There are now some reports that the number of hostages taken by Hamas may exceed 130. Fighting has not been isolated to Gaza. In the West Bank, 17 Palestinians are reported to have been killed. And in northern Israel, fighting between Iranian-backed Hezbollah soldiers in southern Lebanon and Israeli troops broke out over the weekend. Rockets reportedly landed in northern Israel in response to Israel killing three soldiers in Lebanon who were fighting for Hezbollah. Hezbollah takes its orders and its money from Iran. It's a semi-quasi-political party in Lebanon and also its own military. The Wall Street Journal reports that Iran helped orchestrate the attack on Israel. The Iranian parliament, learning of the advance that Hamas soldiers made into southern Israel, began chanting death to America inside the parliament. Looks kind of like our trying to find a, a speaker right after Matt Gates called the vote. I think, weren't they screaming death to America? right before uh, making McCarthy vacate the chair. Iran denies reports that it was behind the attacks. But, like we, after 9-11, need somebody to attack. Senator Lindsey Graham appeared on Fox News Monday and insisted America should start bombing one Iranian oil refinery for every hostage who is killed in Gaza. Donald Trump, campaigning in New Hampshire, said the attack on Israel proves that America needs a travel ban and that he was right for trying to keep Muslims out of this country when he was president. On Sunday, the European Union announced it would suspend all foreign aid to the Palestinians to punish them for the attack on Israel, but on Monday, The EU said it changed its mind and the flow of cash to the Palestinians will continue. 
The UAE denounced Hamas for attacking Israel and in a move unusual for a Middle Eastern nation, failed to say Israel played any role in the animosity between both parties. This could have something to do with events back in 2020 when the Trump administration, under the leadership of Jared Kushner, negotiated the Abraham Accords, which established diplomatic relations for the first time between the UAE and Israel. And Jared Kushner got $2 billion deposited into his bank account. This year, uh, this year saw an unofficial normalization of relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel, with the possibility of the two nations forming some sort of joint security agreement, as well as diplomatic ties. But over the weekend, Saudi Arabia's official response to the attack by Hamas was that Israel caused it. It is believed that one of the primary reasons Saudi princes financed the attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon on 9-11 was because of Israel's mistreatment of the Palestinians. On Monday, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, during a visit to China, met with that country's top leader, Xi Jinping, and expressed disappointment that China refused to condemn Hamas for the attacks. Schumer pointed out that China has close ties to Iran and then urged Xi to tell Iran to stop meddling in Israeli affairs. The Chinese government later issued an official statement that China is a friend to both Israel and the Palestinians. United States Secretary of State Anthony Blinken assured Israel that America will provide all the military assistance it needs to win its war against Hamas. Again, that's very nice, but Anthony Blinken is the Secretary of State. He's our chief diplomat. He should be assisting Israel by trying to open up back-channel negotiations with the Palestinians. We have a defense secretary to guarantee that Israel will get all the weapons it needs. Israel responded to Anthony Blinken's offer of more weapons by asking for more anti-ballistic missiles for its Iron Dome defense system, whose supplies are on the verge of exhaustion after an unprecedented number of Palestinian rockets were fired into the country over the weekend. Israel ordered Chevron to shut down one of its two offshore oil rigs operating off the coast of Israel until its security can be guaranteed. Shares of Chevron popped 3.1% on Monday because the price of oil is about to go up as oil companies have more credible excuses to insist there's a scarcity of refined oil thanks to the situation in the Middle East, and so they must raise prices. And Israeli Defense Force spokesperson Major Duran Spielman called the invasion by Hamas the most devastating attack on Israel since its founding. This is the mop-up for October 10th, 2023. I'm David Feldman. Please like this program so I stay in your feed and subscribe to my channel. Leave a comment to let me know what you think. Earlier, I said that Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu would pay a steep political price for what can only be described as a catastrophic failure of intelligence and competence. 
Nobody is quite sure how Israel let its guard down, but it probably speaks volumes to Netanyahu's lack of leadership. This year, thousands of reservists threatened to quit the military in protest of Netanyahu's heavy-handed attempt to strip the judiciary branch of its power. Whether or not that played any part in Israel's devastatingly poor preparedness, it doesn't matter. It will be perceived as such. Unlike the United States after 9-11, when George W. Bush completely screwed up and was rewarded with a 91% approval rating, the highest of any modern president, Israelis are not so forgiving. Unlike after 9-11, when the narrative was controlled here in America and mainstream voices were forbidden from discussing why this happened, you weren't allowed to ask why we were attacked. You were only allowed to call it evil. But in Israel, politics and speech are different. Israel is still under siege and already Haaretz, which I can only describe as Israel's New York Times, Haaretz, hours after the attack, issued a blistering editorial placing the blame for the Hamas invasion squarely on Netanyahu. Haaretz, in their editorial, this is the official position of Haaretz, it's their editorial. They write, Netanyahu will certainly try to evade his responsibility and cast the blame on the heads of the army military intelligence, and the Shin Bet security service who, like their predecessors on the eve of the Yom Kippur War, saw a low probability of war with their preparations for a Hamas attack proving flawed. Shin Bet is the equivalent of Homeland Security. Haaretz goes on to write, however, the military and intelligence failure does not absolve Netanyahu of his overall responsibility for the crisis, as he is the ultimate arbiter of Israeli foreign and security affairs. Netanyahu is no novice in this role, like Ehud Olmert was in the Second Lebanon War, nor is he ignorant in military matters as Golda Meir in 1973 and Menachem Begin in 1982 claimed to be. In the United States, pro-Palestinian protesters took to the streets of major cities to show support for Hamas and the attack on Israel. The Democratic Socialists of America sponsored a pro-Palestinian march in New York City that was, by the look of things, decidedly pro-Hamas and anti-Israel, with protesters insisting Israel brought the suffering on themselves. This is one of the reasons we don't have Medicare for all in America. This is one of the reasons we don't have a more powerful movement on the left. A lot of Jews are turned off by the anti-Israeli sentiment shared by progressive Democrats. As more and more younger leftists, including American Jews, turn away from Israel, a good number of Jewish Democrats who are normally predisposed towards leftist candidates become frightened. This is the wedge issue that allowed APAC during the 2022 midterms to set up shadow super PACs and defeat far-left congressional candidates who would have fought hard for Medicare for All and the rest of Bernie's agenda. 
American Jews who would normally be all in on a far-left domestic agenda are turned off by the anti-Zionism they see on the far left, to which I say, you don't win by disengaging with them. Now look, I'm a leftist. I believe in a Jewish state. I believe in a two-state solution. I believe in a Jewish state and a Palestinian state. I also believe Gaza is an open-air prison. That's a fact. And America must put more pressure on Israel to find a peaceful resolution to this problem. I do think you can be anti-Israel and not be anti-Semitic. I know a lot of Jews who aren't anti-Semitic but are not Zionists, okay? I also don't think it's a good idea for the Anti-Defamation League to conflate anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism. I also believe anti-Semitism is real and it's never, ever going to go away. And I think a lot of people hide behind anti-Zionism to mask their hatred for the Jews, the same way a lot of right-wing Christians uh, hide behind their pro-Israel stance to mask their hatred for the Jews. On the right, you have people who, are, who love the idea of Israel for many reasons, one of which is it's a place we can send the Jews. All that being said to my fellow lefties who have a problem with some of our brothers and sisters being perceived as anti-Israel. To disengage from leftist politics because you disagree with our brethren on Israel is lazy and it's cowardice and you should be better than that. There will always be anti-Semitism and there will always be an argument. If it's not Israel, it will be something else. That's the curse of being on the left. Stay and fight for Medicare for all and all the other important issues like free tuition at public universities, free daycare, student loan forgiveness. Uh, all those issues have nothing to do with Israel. Don't walk away from the fight. Too many of my friends have walked away from the left because they sense anti-Semitism, like there isn't any on the right. It's lazy and cowardice. And again, no matter what you do, there will always be anti-Semitism. It's like the seersucker suit in your closet. It's a perennial. It never goes out of style. So, and so stay on the left and fight for what you believe. And listen, listen, listen to the people who genuinely believe the Palestinians are victims. Listen to them. You don't live in Israel. You live here in America and you must listen. Get along and try to find common ground with everyone on the left. We all want the same things, even though some of us disagree on certain issues like Israel. Look, if I can root for Liz Cheney because of the way she took on Trump, Jews can stay with the Democratic Socialists, even if some of those Democratic Socialists hate Israel. 
Here is the official statement from the Democratic Socialists of America. We unequivocally condemn the killing of all civilians. It is imperative for international human rights law to be respected. But we cannot forget that the Israeli state has systematically denied Palestinians the right to self-determination for decades. Well, just because you're right, it doesn't mean your timing is right. Maybe you could have held off a couple of days. Maybe you don't celebrate war. Is that the position of the democratic socialists, to celebrate war and violence? Just because you're right doesn't mean your timing was right. Wrong? I guess the word I'm looking for is class. It's low class to stage that kind of protest in the wake of this disaster for both Israel and the Palestinians. Wrong time. Socialists should be calling for peace, not pointing fingers right now. I like Rashida Tlaib. She is a congresswoman from Michigan, and she is the only Palestinian-American serving in Congress. We need more voices like Rashida Tlaib. I urge all of you to donate to her campaign. Uh, Now, is she right for calling Israel an apartheid state immediately after these attacks? Uh, That's not for me to say. Uh, Gaza is an open-air prison. She is the only Palestinian-American serving in Congress. So do we really want to discuss apartheid? We need to end the bloodshed, and we need to figure out a way for the Israelis and the Palestinians to live in peace. And we're not getting there. We're not getting there. If we do what some members of the squad did over the weekend and turn their back on Rashida Tlaib for speaking out against Israel. Uh, She is the only Palestinian-American serving in Congress. That's her job. Her job is to speak out and support the Palestinians. So, of course, she was condemned by too many Democrats for making a statement that I'm going to read. You decide and leave a comment. Uh, Again, maybe in the wake of a horrible disaster with the war still going on, it might be a good idea not to have so strong an opinion and push for diplomacy. But everything she says here, uh, you decide. You tell me if she's wrong. I grieve the Palestinian and Israeli lives lost yesterday, today, and every day. I am determined as ever to fight for a just future where everyone can live in peace without fear and with true freedom, equal rights, and human dignity. The path to that future must include lifting the blockade, ending the occupation, and dismantling the apartheid system that creates the suffocating, dehumanizing conditions that can lead to resistance. Now, we live in a world of sound bites, so nobody got to read or hear Rashida Tlaib's full statement. If you're a Jewish American like me, I urge you 
to donate to Rashida Tlaib. We need voices like this in America. Okay? She goes on to write. The failure to recognize the violent reality of living under siege, occupation, and apartheid makes no one safer. No person, no child anywhere should have to suffer or live in fear of violence. We cannot ignore the humanity in each other. As long as our country provides billions in unconditional funding to support the apartheid government, this heartbreaking cycle of violence will continue. So a lot of people are upset that she chose to use the word apartheid. Maybe, uh, maybe not the best choice right after, but she believes that. And uh, I'm not going to argue whether or not Israel is an apartheid state. I'm going to argue how we bring peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And as Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib writes in her statement, make it so the conditions in Gaza don't breed this type of violence. Uh, the easiest thing to do is to do what we did after 9-11. Get angry, pick a side, say you're either with us or against us. And we saw how that turned out. Okay? So I urge everybody, even if you don't agree with Rashida Tlaib, if you're a Jewish American, even if you don't completely agree with Rashida Tlaib, maybe you don't approve of her use of the word apartheid. She is the only Palestinian American serving in Congress. I ask you to donate. We need to hear this voice here in America. Former Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy held an emergency press conference on Monday in which he said there are too many problems in the world for America not to have a speaker. McCarthy said he knew how to stop the fighting between Hamas and Israel. Yeah, because he's done such a great job bringing an end to the civil war inside his own party. McCarthy outlined a five-point plan to assist Israel, which for some reason all five of McCarthy's points in his plan were various methods of disemboweling Matt Gates. I'm not sure how that solves the problem in the Middle East. Then McCarthy said he would be open to returning as speaker, but only for the bad of our country. He said his ego is bruised, he's moved on, but he would be willing to come back as speaker only for the bad of this country to ensure Americans have unaffordable health care and no place to live. Jim Jordan is running for speaker and the knives have come out to destroy him. If you remember last week, I was praying that Jim Jordan would run for speaker because in Washington, everybody rises to their highest level of corruption. Right. We're going to look into his wrestling scandal in a second. But it's important to keep in mind that people have forgotten that Jim Jordan was one of the loudest 2020 election deniers and spoke on the phone January 6th a couple of times with Donald Trump. He refused to testify before the January 6th committee. Jim Jordan ignored the subpoena, as did Kevin McCarthy, by the way. 
And both of them, after January 6, voted not to certify for Biden. Liz Cheney went down to defeat in the primaries back in 2022. Over the weekend, she spoke out against the idea of Jim Jordan as speaker. Jim Jordan knew more about what Donald Trump had planned for January 6th than any other member of the House of Representatives. Then she spoke about our Constitution. And if the Republicans decide that Jim Jordan should be the Speaker of the House, there would no longer be any possible way to argue that a group of elected Republicans could be counted on to defend the Constitution. As I said, there are accusations that Jim Jordan, while serving as a wrestling coach at Ohio State University, looked the other way while the team physician, Dr. Strauss, molested hundreds of male wrestlers who Jordan coached. There are accusations that when told that they had been attacked by the team physician, Jordan reportedly said, that's Strauss, and pretty much told the boys to walk it off. The lawsuits are continuing thanks to a recent ruling by the Supreme Court, which lifted the statute of limitations on that case. Here is one of Jim Jordan's wrestlers testifying back in 2020 before the Ohio House Justice Committee. He's testifying on how Jim Jordan called, cajoled, and begged him not to level an official complaint against him, not to open up and talk about the role Jim Jordan played in facilitating Dr. Strauss's transgressions. This is Adam D. Sabato. This is disgusting. You people have the power to do something. Ohio State is too arrogant. They think it's going to go away. Jim Jordan called me crying, crying, groveling on the 4th of July, begging me to go against my brother, begging me, crying for a half hour. That's the kind of cover-ups that's going on there. Now, you guys can sit and act like it's not going on, but I, I got a, a lot of other stuff here. Emails that were taken out of my mailbox. That's a crime. We're going to be hearing more about that uh, starting tomorrow as Jim Jordan tries to become speaker. His race is against Steve Scalise, who is the House Majority Leader. Scalise is no better. Steve Scalise has refused to say whether or not the 2020 election was stolen. And Liz Cheney recently said of Steve Scalise, millions of them about his election denying, and he refused to certify. This is what Liz Cheney said of Steve Scalise. Millions of Americans have been sold a fraud that the election was stolen. Republicans have a duty to tell the American people that this is not true. Perpetuating the big lie is an attack on the core of our constitutional republic. Bobby Kennedy has left the Democratic Party. He will now run against Joe Biden 
and Donald Trump in a third-party bid. His brothers and sisters issued a statement that Bobby Kennedy is dangerous to America. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong, protect the weak, and pray for peace. Pray for peace and forgiveness. Everything, all my unhappiness in life stems from fighting with people and failing to forgive. Life is an exercise in forgiveness. And uh, we can keep giving arms to people around the world. That's the easiest and the laziest thing to do. Or we can urge peace. There was a time in this country when our president's first response was not a country has the right to defend itself. There was a time when our president said, this is horrible. Let's make sure this doesn't get out of hand. What happened in Israel was disgraceful, sad, and depressing. I worry, just like after 9-11, the wrong heads will not prevail and stupid, stupid things will be done just because it feels good or just because you're covering up your own malfeasance. Worst Simchas Torah ever. Right, everybody? The worst. That's what everybody is saying. Worst Simchas Torah ever. 